Welcome to the Diabetes What to Know podcast, where we talk to diabetes experts about how to live a long, healthy life with diabetes. Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist, Melinda Marinuk is here to answer questions that people in our texting program have sent to us. Melinda, thank you so much for being back here with us. I'm so glad to be with you, Ansley. So we're gonna start off with some questions we've gotten about blood sugar. One person texted us asking, what is considered a spike and what happens when my blood sugar spikes? So the word spike is kind of a scary word, isn't it? It sounds a little dangerous, but actually we have to recognize that blood sugar will always go up after each meal or snack, and then it comes down. It can be a concern when it rises too high. What's too high? I'll answer that in a second. Um, or if it does it too often. So after a meal, the blood sugar, you don't want it to see it go up more than about 180 points. Or a more important number is to think about not going higher than about 40 or 50 points from where it started. So that's a normal rise or a normal spike. Um, if that happens too often, that it goes higher than 180, then over time, that can give you longer-term high blood sugar, which can increase your overall A1C. So it's hard to say, like, is there a certain number of spikes, but it's a chronic or consistent level of having your blood sugar above target. So it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, we want to get targets from our doctor about, you know, where our blood sugar should be before a meal and two hours after. And as, as long as our, our numbers are kind of in that range, we're doing great. Um, and if it goes higher than 180 or higher than that, our doctor's target for us, that's when we might want to start thinking about, should we be eating differently? Should we adjust medications, et cetera? Right, right. And also recognize that certain foods are more likely to spike you or raise the blood sugar more rapidly. So if it's a, a just purely carbohydrate food like bread or just fruit or sugary foods, that's going to give you a faster and higher spike than if you combine a carbohydrate with something like a protein and a fat, which will lessen that spike and make that rise in the blood sugar a little bit lower. So another person asked, my blood sugar was 168 last night and 215 this morning. So my question is, why does my blood sugar go up at night when I sleep? I know so many people have that question. I'm not eating while I'm sleeping. Why is my blood sugar going up? First thing to do is sort of ask yourself and think back, is this a pattern? Does this happen more than rarely? Because if it just happens on occasion, I don't even really think about it. But you want to look for a pattern. Does this happen two or three times in a row or during a week? Then it's something that you want to dig a little deeper to. So, you know, first ask maybe the obvious question and say, did I have a particularly larger meal the night before or a snack that was really high in protein and fat? The protein and fat can really help lower the spike in a blood sugar, but also it extends the time of digestion. And you might not see that that, that digested meal or snack late at night appear until the morning. More commonly, it just might be the rise of natural hormones in your body early in the morning. I kind of refer to them sometimes as your wake-up hormones, the cortisol or the growth hormone that start working at four in the morning to get your body ready to wake up. It releases glucose from the liver, and that creates a spike in the morning. Um, in terms of what to do about it, 
it's something that ha happens naturally. And if it happens consistently, it might be something to talk to your provider, your healthcare provider about regarding a slight change in medications that you take before bed that would help lessen that spike if it's consistent in the morning. So what I hear you saying is we're really looking for patterns. One-off numbers, not the end of the world if we see them right. higher in the morning, but if we see them frequently, that's when we want to talk to our doctor about it. Absolutely. Okay, Melinda, someone asked, how late can a person eat without having a high blood sugar reading? Great question. If the snack that you're eating late at night is very light, it's a cup of tea, it's um, you know a couple of crackers, you don't expect there to be much of a rise in blood sugar at all. And you won't see that in the morning. If you're having a large bowl of ice cream with a lot of fat in it, you will expect that blood sugar to definitely go higher and that may still be higher in the morning. So it's not so much um, a time, it also has to do with the quantity of food that you're eating. You know, generally I think it's uh, advised to try to limit your time eating window. One of the things that's talked about a lot lately is time restricted eating. And if normally you start eating at seven in the morning and you don't stop eating, snacks, for example, watching TV until 11 at night, we advise people to sort of shorten that window a little bit. So if you are a late night eater, I generally advise people to, you know, bring your last snack from 11 to maybe eight and see if you can uh, have it a little bit earlier. But there's not a clear guideline of exactly when to stop eating. For many people, it might just be a little earlier than you're currently doing. So one of my favorite questions we've gotten is this one. This person wants to know, once I'm on medication, can I eat anything I want? Medication is work. It's designed to work in concert with the other aspects of your treatment plan, your, your food plan, your meal plan, as well as your exercise plan. So just because you're adding medicine doesn't mean you stop doing all the good things that you were doing uh, when you might not have been uh, taking medicine or as much medicine. Uh, you want to be as careful and pay as much attention to your meal plan as you had been before medicine. So no, not anything you want. Next question. What are high protein snacks for people with diabetes, especially unprocessed options? I love that this person wants unprocessed options. What are your suggestions? Yeah, because there's so much out there about processed protein bars and processed protein shakes. And it seems to be the big thing on, uh, on the food markets these days of all the different kinds of protein snacks pre-prepared that you can buy. Well, there's plenty of things that are, I consider whole food options. So thinking about protein, it's your variety of meats rolled up little uh, turkey roll-ups or cheese cubes or cheese sticks or uh, nut butters, whether it's peanut butter or sunflower butter, uh, it's, it's certainly a great option. Uh, the dairy products, so whether it's yogurt or milk or even um, eggs uh, are great protein sources. Uh, tofu and snacks uh, made with uh, beans, such as chickpeas that have been baked and roasted with a little salt on it. So lots of things don't turn right away to thinking that you need to buy a protein bar. You can have lots of ways to increase the protein in your diet and in your snacks by using um, whole foods as well. I just read an article that was saying that cottage cheese is back as kind of a cool snack again. So that's always also an option with that's pretty high in protein. 
In fact, I've been using the whipped cottage cheese, which I think makes a really nice uh, spread on toast. Uh, it's a little bit like a cream cheese with uh, lots more protein in it. So next question is a great one. What is good to eat when you wake up in the middle of the night and feel hungry? What's not going to cause our blood sugar to go up too much? First of all, you want to, because this happens to me, you want to assess, am I really hungry or am I just sort of restless in bed? So you try to sort of get yourself out of the mindset that you're hungry and you need to get out of bed, try to maybe put on a little music, try to put yourself back to sleep, try to maybe, um, you know, look at a book for a little while, don't try to look at a screen, that will just um, keep you up. But if you do find yourself going down to the kitchen, maybe have some pre things already ready in your mind of what you could go for. I would suggest going with a, a nice warm herbal tea, warming up some milk. It sounds old fashioned, but it's actually really true and helpful that that can uh, give you some sort of sleepy effects or a really small snack that doesn't require a whole lot of digestion. So just a few crackers, um, a, a piece of toast, a little bowl of cereal, um, not something that's heavy in terms of more protein and fat, which is, takes a little bit more power to digest it. So this person asked, what pastries are okay for people with diabetes? What would you say to them? Pastries in general, when I think about it, are those large sugar-laden things that uh, you're going to get at the supermarket, and sometimes you have no idea what's in there, uh, lots of sugar, and really, not just people with diabetes, but all of us should be avoiding things that have a lot of refined white flour and a lot of refined sugar. But if you are truly craving something sweet or a pastry type of thing, my first answer would have been just have an English muffin with a little jam on it or something like that. But there are times when everybody's having a pastry. I would go with a small donut. Actually, if you check the, uh, the nutrition facts on something like a small uh, commercial, like a Dunkin' Donuts donut, it, without the icing on it, it's only about 15 to 20 grams of carbohydrate in it. And if that fits within your carbohydrate budget, that might be an allowance. If there's a special pastry that you love from a bakery, say a croissant, just work it into your carbohydrate budget. And not too often, but it can be a special treat. All right. So you mentioned the carbohydrate budget, and I love this concept. Tell us what you mean by that. How, how can someone think about planning their meals and snacks so that they're choosing the foods they love, but, but still keeping their numbers in a safe place by, by staying within their carb budget? A carb budget is a little bit different for everyone. And ideally, your dietitian or diabetes care and education specialist can work with you to make a recommendation for about how much carbohydrate per day, per meal, per snack is recommended. Um, as a guideline for snacks, we generally say 15 to 30 grams of carbohydrate for a snack. A meal might be somewhere between someone who is a small, light eater or losing weight, maybe as low as 30 grams for a breakfast, and as high as maybe 75 grams for someone that's more active for a lunch or a dinner. So that's kind of a, a rough range, but it is helpful to know a guideline for yourself for a about how much carbohydrate seems reasonable. Um, you also want it to be, uh, for most people with diabetes or prediabetes, you're aiming for a little less carbohydrate than you're used to eating, especially if your blood sugar has been running high. So it might take input from a dietitian to help you look at your usual eating patterns and understand where you could maybe cut 
down some of the carbohydrate that doesn't carry as much nutrition value with it, like refined white flour foods, such as breads and pastas and bagels and things like that. Melinda, quite a few people asked, how can I lower my sugar intake? What would you say to them? So I would say to them, one thing to start with is maybe keeping a food record for a couple of days to really try to identify where the more common sources of sugar are in your diet. Or, and when I say sugar, I also mean carbohydrates. So not just the sweet sugar, but also the refined white flours, pasta, bread, crackers, things that you might not think would have much of an impact on your blood sugar, but they do. So if you're looking at reducing overall sugar and reducing overall carbohydrate, try to understand where your main sources are and then identify which of those you're willing or ready to reduce. For many people, the most obvious place to start is on some of the beverages, whether you're a fruit juice drinker or drink regular sodas or have other kinds of sweetened beverages, even sweetened alcoholic beverages, pay attention to those as well. And then the next place to look at is the amount of, I call it the refined white flour foods. So bread, pasta, waffles, crackers, that if they're not whole grain, don't offer a lot of nutrition value. And for many people, we can really reduce those a fair bit more and either have less and or replace them with whole grain versions of those foods. One more question for you about beverages. I don't know if people always realize how much sugar and carbs are in those fancy coffee drinks that we can get. Talk a little bit about what we should be looking at in our frappuccinos, uh, you know, cappuccinos, et cetera. Yeah, it's so interesting to look at what you think is just a coffee drink and coffee in and of itself has basically no calories and no sugar and no fat, but all of the additives that can go into it to make these fancy drinks can bring them up to over 200 calories and many teaspoons of sugar. So really, you know, you're at your favorite coffee shop, try to get the nutrition information on it. If you are ordering something other than you know, a, a skimmed milk latte or a coffee where you add your own uh, whitener to it that could be ideally a lower fat whitener. So be aware, uh, know that there are a lot better options using non-fat and low-fat products and recognize that a lot of sugar can get slipped in there and add your own as a way to sweeten it, either with a non-nutritive sweetener or just a teaspoon of sugar, which is only going to give you about five grams of carbohydrate if you can keep it to that limit. So another person asked us, can you give some guidelines to me on how to eat low carb? Also a very frequent question we hear. So how to eat low carb, identify first uh, how much carb you are eating. And this can either be done by you keeping a record of things. And after you're very clear and know the sources of carbohydrate in your food. It's not just the sweets, but it's also fruit, which I consider good and healthy carbohydrate and legumes. So your black beans and peas and lentils, those are healthy carbohydrates. Uh, and those carbohydrates, which are less nutritious and less healthy, your refined white flours, your sweetened beverages, your juices, uh, and your sweets. And look at where there may be too much and where you can reduce uh, and cut back on what you're currently doing. The other thing I want to caution people about is if you are taking insulin or if you are taking one of the sulfonylurea medicines, such as glipizide or gliburide, those are medicines that can trigger hypoglycemia. And if you reduce your carbohydrates 
too much or too quickly and you don't change the medicine you're taking, you increase the risk of hypoglycemia. So reducing carbohydrate can be done. If you're taking certain medicines, make sure you're talking about it with your healthcare provider to do it safely and start with reducing those carbohydrates that are the less healthy carbohydrates. Don't cut way back on the fruit because that's something that, that we need. Don't cut way back on the, the whole grain and the legumes because those are really good for us, but cut back on those carbohydrates that overall are in the less healthy category. You know, I think that's such good guidance overall that whenever we're really thinking about changing our diet, we do want to talk to our doctor or our healthcare professional just to make sure that, you know, they're aware so that if medications need to be tweaked to prevent low blood sugar, they can do that. So someone else asked, I've heard that cinnamon helps with diabetes. What is the best cinnamon to buy? What are your thoughts on cinnamon, Melinda? Yeah, you know, cinnamon is something that has been studied for uh, many years, about uh, 40 or 50 years, I'm aware of small research studies that haven't been definitively proven at all that it will lower blood sugar, but there does seem to be some relationship in some individuals. So when my patients asked me about using cinnamon, you know, I generally, you know, advise them that if it's something that they enjoy, they don't hate the taste of cinnamon. If you ask my husband to add more cinnamon, he would say absolutely not. Uh, but it's inexpensive. It has, for many people, a nice flavoring, can be easily stirred into the oatmeal. So about a teaspoon, up to a teaspoon a day is fine if you're sprinkling it on things or putting it in your cereal, for example. The kind of cinnamon, so there's some uh, theory or some evidence that the Ceylon cinnamon or the cassia cinnamon may be a little bit better, but honestly, I don't know if there's enough evidence to really prove one or both over the other. So it might be try what's in your pantry, um, see if you like adding it, and uh, see if it does make any difference for you. And just to be clear, you're talking about using, you know, regular cooking cinnamon in our meals. You're not suggesting that someone needs to buy cinnamon supplements, for example. No, no. Yeah, good point. Uh, thank you, Ansley, for clarifying that. So using the regular um, kitchen grocery store cinnamon, uh, there are different varieties. There's a Vietnamese cinnamon. There's a... Um, Honestly, I'm forgetting a variety, but I do know that the Ceylon or the cassia cinnamon has been studied a little bit more and may show a little bit more benefit, but no supplements necessary. So we can do a little fun experimentation with, yeah. with, with using a little more cinnamon in our meals. Yeah. So one person asked, if I have a vegetarian diet, what are my best choices for protein? I can't eat a lot of nuts because of bad teeth. So if you're not a vegan, you know, start by thinking about ways to add more dairy, cottage cheese, yogurt, uh, a variety of cheeses, adding eggs uh, in a variety of ways, tofu and all tofu related products such as uh, tempeh, the plant-based meats uh, are, you know, really great. They're a little bit expensive, but can be also a really great option. And certainly all the legumes and beans, lentils, black beans, uh, white beans, uh, kidney beans, uh, tossed into salads and soups, uh, and uh, certainly flavored on their own are some of the more common and also soft ways to get more protein for people who are vegetarian. So we had another text message from someone who wanted to know, what can I eat as a snack at work that isn't going to shoot my numbers up? Thinking about the 
foods that won't shoot your numbers up. Those would start with the very low carbohydrate snacks, such as your vegetables. So you had a quiz about uh, uh, cucumbers, and I won't give away the answer, but sliced cucumbers are very low in carbohydrates. And really, most all of the veggies, whether it's celery sticks and carrots and tomato slices. So thinking of bringing um, some sliced veggies and then maybe having some of those individual served packets of guacamole or avocado spread or hummus. Then you can uh, think about some of the other lower carb snacks such as nuts or nut butters on crackers, uh, cheese sticks, little individual servings of cottage cheese or yogurt, all really um, little protein boosts as well as lowering carbohydrate. So Melinda, we got a question that says, how can I regulate my blood sugar levels with diet? And you've talked a lot about, you know, like looking at carbohydrate levels. Can you talk a little bit about why for some people, you know, making changes to their food may not be enough and, and what they should do at that point? It's really important to uh, know the basics of a balanced meal. I love to use the plate as a guide of thinking of having only about a quarter of your plate filled with the more carbohydrate heavy foods, whether that's um, pasta, potatoes, corn, breads, because it's those carbohydrates that are really going to spike your, your uh, blood glucose numbers. But overall, you want to have a balance of those foods throughout the day. And if you're seeing that your blood sugar is not responding to the efforts that you're making, you've lost a few pounds, you're balancing your carbohydrates, adding either an, a, a first-time medicine or a new medicine or increasing the medicine is absolutely fine. And it's something that a, a physician that I used to work with said when asked by a patient, doc, do you think I'm ever going to have to go on insulin? And this is someone with type 2 diabetes. And his answer used to be, well, I hope so, because that means you've lived a long life with diabetes. The point of that is diabetes can be progressive and you can do a lot of great work with your lifestyle, with your exercise, with the way you eat, but there are just some things we can't change in terms of the over time, the beta cells beginning to not function as well and more and more medicines will be needed. It's not a bad thing. It's not something you did wrong. It's just the fact that you're living a long life with diabetes. That person hasn't failed if they need to take more medication or add another medication. That's just kind of the way diabetes works. Absolutely. Absolutely. So another great question that someone asked, how can I use frozen fruit to make a filling smoothie? And I'd love to just broaden that a little bit. Like what is a healthy smoothie? Like how can someone with people with, how can a person with diabetes think about making a good smoothie? One thing I want to clarify is the difference between like pressing juices out of different fruits in a juice press where you're just getting the juice, that's not as healthy. The great thing about a smoothie is you're getting all the fiber from the fruit. Uh, so don't just go for the juice, go for all of the fibers that will come with the fruit that you're grinding up or that you're blending up in a high power blender. Um, throwing in to make it even healthier than just using the frozen fruit would be adding some yogurt, some cottage cheese, some uh, milk, some source of protein in there, because if it's just carbohydrate that you're blending up, that is going to be give you more of a blood sugar spike. But if you're adding some additional protein and maybe a little fat, that's going to lower the spike. 
when I think about frozen fruit, I think about bananas and avocados as a way to add a little bit more creaminess to the uh, smoothie. So think about throwing in some bananas or avocados and avocados have the benefit of being very low in carbohydrate and offer you some healthy fats. And that'll give you a little staying power with your smoothie. So it'll keep you full a little longer. Anything we haven't covered today that you think is really important for people with type 2 diabetes to know? I think it's important for people to know that have diabetes or prediabetes, do your best. Give it the best shot. Your best shot is not going to be perfect every day. Every day is a new day. Don't beat yourself up and know that there is lots of support to help you through organizations like this Facebook community as well as your physicians, diabetes care and education specialists, and dietitians, You're not walking this route alone, and um, you can do it. Oh, wonderful. Melinda, thank you so much. As always, you answered so many of our questions and, and just gave such great information. Thank you. Thank you, Ainsley. We will be back to you with a new episode in a few weeks. Until then, please stay safe and take good care. Good night.